I'd like to take the next three and four and do those a little more quickly today to finish the seven aspects of the blood covenant. Because we've the first three are very significant. The next three are what happened in the midst of the blood covenant. <clears throat> and then to end this, the service today, as an illustration, we're going to take, be a part of the covenant meal. At the end of the covenant, and I'll go through the next three steps. At the end of the covenant cutting and the promises made in the walking through the blood, then both parties would gather for a meal to celebrate this covenant. This supper that we're going to share is the remembrance of the blood covenant. And so we get to take part of that today as we come to the end of this. Remember, we're trying to move our mindsets from what Paul talked about, a Greek mindset, which we're a little more prone to in America. And that green Greek mindset is that our victory in our life is through our education, the betterment of ourself, and based upon secular humanism. Secular humanism is a, is a humanism of the greatness of man without the need of God. That man in himself will get better and better and better. American culture is based a lot on Greek mindset. And then we're also going to, we also need to transition from some of us, and you might be personally involved, we're raised in an environment of barbarian mindset. Even in America. Meaning, if you come out of a home of abuse, verbal, physical, sexual, if you came out of that kind of a home, it creates an environment for a barbarian. Because a barbar for victory for a barbarian is intimidation and fear and threat. The illustration I used is the Middle East and is the Islamic ISIS terror. That is a barbarian mindset. Remember I said, Americans want to take our Greek, which is better, I think, than barbarian. We want to take our Greek mindset and make it work in a barbarian culture. It won't and will never work. The only thing that will transition people's minds is the work of Jesus Christ. It's the only one that can take our Greek mindset and say, Lord, I'm, I have nothing in myself. All my hope is in you. Then you've just shifted from Greek to Hebrew thinking. When God is the source of all of our life, everything about us, then we've just shifted. When If we're from a barbarian home, or you may be the barbarian, the only thing that will transition for you, that is when you get before the cross of Christ and you bring your barbarian, whether you're the barbarian or you're the one that's been beaten up or intimidated, you bring that little broken kid and lay it, and lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, would you please forgive me, heal me, and restore me. He does, he will. And we begin to think no longer as the victim. We begin to think, my God is greater. My God is stronger. Lord, you're higher than any other. Our God, my God is healer. He's awesome in power. Do you understand what I just started thinking? Hebrew. Hebrew culture is dependent upon an almighty God. So we're trying to transition from wherever we are to become a people that think of God 
and his, his place in our life first. So we're going to look at three more today. We're going to have a blood exchange. We're going to have a name exchange. And we're going to have a scar exchange. The last three steps of the covenant. And then we're going to celebrate the final step is the, is the supper of the Lord. We will commemorate this, the scripture Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to do this supper in remembrance of him, his blood and his covenant, until he returns. So we're going to keep doing this every little bit until the day the Lord returns. And guess what? There's going to be one more really big meal after that. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then he's going to be there in person. And we get to be there. He's the groom. We get to be the bride. The body of Christ. Now next Sunday, I hope you're here. Because I'm going to take all of these components, these seven component, components, and show you how it's, in our culture, the only blood covenant that we continue to um, celebrate and walk through is the wedding ceremony. I'm going to walk you through what, how we've made it into our modern culture, but you'll see all seven steps of the blood covenant through the marriage ceremony. And it's very significant also because, remember, Jesus came as the groom, and he's coming for the bride. So this whole picture from Old to New Testament is very much related to the marriage situation. So next Sunday, we're going to try to tie that all back to what it is how it works and how we're going to look forward to it into the future. All right, the exchange of blood. Let's start there. If you're taking notes. In the exchange of blood, this is where I, I take my, watch this because we're good at this. I take my independence and we're proud of it as Americans. But it's really harmful for our spiritual life. Where I take my independence and I lay it at his feet and become dependent upon him. That's hard to do because it's my pride letting go. And then surrendering myself to him. They would take their right arm. Remember they've, all, they've already taken off their robes. Exchanged robes. Remember they've already exchanged the belt. And they've exchanged the sacrifice. The animal sacrifice. And they've walked through the middle of it. Now, standing in the middle of the sacrifice, they'll take their knife, part off of their belt, and they'll make a slit in their hand. I remember trying to do that as a little kid, wanting to do blood brother, you know, with, with somebody. Best I could ever get was a little scratch, because I didn't have the cuts, guts to cut it. And so, but you would, you would cut, and that's probably not politically correct now, because we call it Indian brothers or something. You need blood brother. And that's a form, that's a leftover from the covenant as well. But they would cut their hand to where blood would flow. Remember, that's what covenant means. Uh, an incision where blood flows. Then they would join hands like this and mingle the blood. Basically saying, we're becoming of one blood. We're becoming of one family in our covenant. We're, we're making that strong of a commitment. We're becoming one with each other. We're intermingling the blood of the, remember, life is in the blood. We're intermingling life, my life, with your life. And it's saying, as I do this, I'm pledging my life for you. And you're pledging your life for me. That's a pretty big covenant. 
Remember I said before you enter into blood covenant, you better take a deep breath and really think about what you're doing. Because you're saying that if, if, if need be, I will put my life in place of protection of you. In other words, I'll give my life for you in protection. And that's a significant part of it. <clears throat> then they would do, after they've done that, they will exchange names. They would each take a part of their name and share it with each other. And it, they, from that point on, would be known by a bit, a different form of their name that would include the name of the person they are in covenant with. In the Old Testament, remember when the first Jewish covenant was made with Abram? Do you remember? Is Abram? And at the end of the covenant, God changed his name to Abraham. Okay, what his first uh, initial name meant, exalted father. Abram was exalted father. And when, he changed, when God changed his name to Abraham, it says, you are now the father of many. You're the father of many. Why? That was the promise of the covenant. Remember what he said? You won't be able to count the descendants that come from you. This was while he was old and not having had no children. Could not have children. He, at that point, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to touch your life. I'm going to put my hand of blessing. And out from you is going to flow this num- a number of people that it's like the sand of the sea or the stars in the sky. It's that many. Try to count them, he said, you won't be able to. That was the promise, so God changed his name from uh, father to father of many because it was the covenant promise. Remember, let's jump to the New Testament. Remember Saul, the good Pharisee? And he was trying to wipe out this thing, this following of Jesus Christ called Christianity. He was going everywhere he could to try to knock it down because he was the Jew of Jews. And this Christianity thing was like a, uh, a bad weed springing up and he was trying to wipe it out. And remember when God met him and found he found himself blinded, this Saul, and God spoke to him and God changed his name. Went from Saul to Paul. It went from Saul means he asked for or prayed for to Paul, which means humble. If you remember what Paul was like, he said, I'm the best there is of the Pharisees. I've been trained by the best. Gamaliel was my, was my master teacher. I'm the top of the line. I'm the one that's out doing the work. He was a man of pride. And when he changed his name, he said, his name means humble. Humble with incredible spiritual power that flowed from his life. Interesting what happens when you meet God and he changes your name. You all wonder what your name was changed to. Have you ever wondered about it? Because I do believe your name was changed when God met you. Took you from out of covenant and put you in, in covenant with him. Then they would take, so they, they change, they mingle blood. Then they have this uh, of name change. And then they would take the same place that they cut with the knife on their hands. And they would make scars appear here. In other words, the way they would do it, they would rub something into that wound. It could be, sometimes they talk about using um, uh, like powder, black powder for, from weaponry. 
or some or dirt or something to make that scar not heal well because they want it to be pronounced for the rest of their life. So if you ever saw somebody in covenant and you saw their hand or shook their hand, you would see a big old scar on their hand. They wanted it because that scar represented the covenant, the outward expression of the covenant. And you're going to see how all that works next week in the marriage in the marriage ceremony. It's kind of cool how it comes together. Power of blood covenants. I'm going to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now this is, if you're not with me or you're not understanding this, hear it carefully. This is remembering back to the tabernacle or the temple. You do not enter into the holiest of holies. That only, is hap- that only happens one time a year before Jesus, before the blood covenant. <clears throat> you, The priest, the high priest, would enter into this holy of holy places in the temple one time a year, the high day of atonement. And it, this is saying, this is showing us a change that's happening in the New Testament. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, not the old covenant, not the dead way, which he had consecrated for us through the veil. Remember, the veil was broken. And that is to say his flesh being broken. And having an high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Remember when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament? He'd have to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, or the lid. He'd have to sprinkle blood because that gave him permission. We've kind of, I heard a Sunday school class talking about it this morning. We've kind of lowered God, I think, in our minds to something that we can handle. We can manage him. We can worship him how we want. We can control how we take our life involved. In other words, we've shrunk him down more to our image, I'm guessing. And I, we will know this really for sure when we see him. Because when we do see him, I have a real strong suspicion we're not going to be able to stand and take that prideful position anymore. When we understand how awesome the God is that we serve. Because these guys knew if I walk into that place before God and it's not right, that high priest would be killed immediately by the presence of God. The power is so intense. That's why no human in all of the Old Testament, you could never look at God. As a Jew, you couldn't even say his name. They would not write Yahweh in in the scripture. They change it to Jehovah because his name is even too holy to say. They can't write it. They can't speak it. They could never see him because the moment you saw him, you'd be killed. That's the intensity of the power of the God that we serve. Like I said, I think we've probably milded, I just made up a word, milded him down 
You can write that down. Give me credit when you say it. Milded him down. When honestly we have not. Because he has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's mercy, it's blood on this mercy seat that gave people the audience with God. When people want to sacrifice innocent blood in the Old Testament, remember it had requirements. It had to have no, no blemish, no scar, no disease, no sickness, no weakness. It had to be the perfect, uh, the best of their flock. And the best, they wanted to get the purest blood to be spilt for the covering. That's God's standard. A lamb without blemish. blemish. There's so much power in the blood. We sing it, and we like to sing the song. But there is massive power that I'm not sure I fully, I'm sure that I don't fully understand. And I'm not sure I even live upon the faith of what I do understand of the power of the blood of Jesus. It, the minute that it dropped out of Jesus' body and hit the ground at, at Golgotha, just a little ways away in that holy temple, there had been this veil put between man and God had been there from the entire time. And the moment that the blood of Jesus was spilled out, the power of it ripped that curtain. And it's not we're not talking about a fine curtain. It was a woven heavy curtain. And it was ripped from the top to the bottom. Why? God was saying the separation between me and man is no longer because of this blood. This blood is sprinkled before us that gives us the right to enter into the presence of a holy God. Without it, the, the same thing would have happened. We would not survive the intensity of the glory of God. I heard in the class this morning that the glory showed itself as a cloud. That's a mild version of the glory. And even when the cloud, the glory of the Lord filled the temple... The people couldn't enter. And those that were in, it says the priests were on their face before the, this glory of God. The intensity of the glory of God. He said you have to have a lamb without blemish. When the Lord was getting ready to set up the, the Lord's Supper, that we'd call it, the sacraments, He took the fruit of the vine, uh, wine, and he said to them, these are the words, this is now representative of the blood, my blood, of the new covenant, which has been shed for you. Now there is power, there is massive power in this blood. Not in the cup we're going to be drinking, the juice or the wine, we're not... There's not the power there. It's the power that it represents the blood. There's power in the blood. It says we can have a defense against all of the powers that come against you from that point on. Okay, let's remember this. Old Testament again. Back over here. We're in the Old Testament. You're in Egypt. Remember the whole story of Egypt that the... There was going to be a judgment by God upon the people for their rebellion against God. That he was going to send the death angel 
and the death angel was going to go over all of the homes of the Egyptians on this particular night. And the death angel was going to go over each home and it was going to kill the firstborn male of every house. I saw something new this time. I was reading through it. It says they, remember they were to take the lamb, sacrifice the perfect lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb, paint it on the doorposts of their house, the, the top and the lintels, the sides. And then he says, then you go to sleep. I'd never caught this before. When you have the blood of Christ over you, because some of you don't sleep because you're worried to death. Right? Some of you just worry warts. Anxious about everything. And if it's, you don't have anything to be anxious about, about, you get anxious that you're not anxious about something. Think about this. This is saying, paint that blood over your house and then go to sleep. Rest. And there's nothing said anymore that night. There are no words spoken as the death angel comes. It says, go over this house. It, nobody's saying that. You know what it's saying? The blood is so loud. Speaks without, is so strong. It says, paint this. Get your life under the blood of Jesus Christ. You get his righteousness on you. You get covered by the blood. And then go lay down and go to sleep. Because when the death angel comes, when judgment comes, you're protected. Your house is safe. That's good news. See, we don't really realize the power of the blood. Because we lay there and worry and stress throughout the days and the nights. When we really don't have to. Do you believe that the Lord can take the vilest of sinner out there, the one that you wouldn't want to be around or be with, and all he has to do, the Spirit of God touches that man or that woman, and they get on their knees before God and repent? Do you think the Lord would take that old messed up person? He would, absolutely. Thank God, because he took me. Do you believe that the power of the blood transitions you from being a cursed child to being a blessed child? Do you think there's healing in the blood of Jesus? Not just spiritual. Thank God for spiritual healing. But he can restore your mind. It can restore, I believe, your body. I believe the Lord's healing is available today. Now we weakened that by unbelief. But I'm telling you, my God is not weak. And the work, the redemptive work that he, done, he did has not weakened at all. So we can bring anything and everything that, that keeps us bound up in bondage, in weakness, in sickness, in damage, and from our bondages. You can bring every bit of that and you don't even have to dress it up to bring it to church anymore. You could actually bring it all in its ugliness and lay it right on an altar and say, Lord, by your blood, remember that blood covering is so loud, everything that flies over it can't, touch, can't get to it anymore. It's that powerful. So what if we brought all of our weaknesses and our brokenness and our abuses and our 
and our addictions and our bondages. What if we brought all that? Don't dress it up. Don't put a suit on it anymore. Just bring it in the mess and the ugliness that it is. And just what if you just laid it all out here on an altar? We'd see all kinds of ugly mess stuff down here, wouldn't we? Until the blood of the lamb covers it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. What's faith? Believing he'll do whatever he says he'll do. We don't have to justify it, protect it, work around it, over it, or under it. We just need to know what he says, and we put our life on that word and trust that he's going to accomplish it. Well, I've done that, but I don't see. It doesn't matter what you see. I don't care. His word says it, in my opinion, and that's, you know, his word says it, and that's the way it is. We hold on to stuff because we don't think he will. We think he can, we just don't think he will. Wouldn't it be cool on a one particular day when the expectations of God's people was unlimited? And everybody that was in that house got caught up in this move of the Spirit of God, this faith, this faith that God will, is able. And He wants to. And He loves me. And I can trust Him. And if, we, if that all began to happen, and people were trying to get to the altars, but they couldn't because they're already full, they're up and down the aisles, and they're laying stuff down, and the Spirit of God begins to raise up a mighty army, just took an old Gideon in a pit somewhere, hiding, throwing up his wheat, trying to just get enough to eat, get by for the day. See, I think that's the way we live our Christian life. Just get by. We do a little, just enough to get by, because if we stood up, we're going to get under attack. The enemy's going to get us. No, God, remember when God looked at Gideon, what he said to him first thing? Mighty warrior. God sees us differently than we've allowed the enemy to label us. I'm going to say it again. God sees us differently than we've allowed the enemy to label us. Hebrews 13.20 Now that the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now listen, I'm going to close with this. Now that we are in Christ, those of you who have been to the cross of Christ, listen carefully what I'm about to tell you. God expects of us to tap into what this covenant has promised us that's rooted in the blood of Jesus. It has the power to conquer death. If you come to the blood of Christ, I want you to understand, you, your body may die, but you're not going to experience death. I want to say that again. If you're into the, under the blood of Jesus Christ, and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will come a day that this earth suit body will die, but you will not experience death. Death, you remember, remember what it says? Death, where is your sting? It's swallowed up in the victory 
of Jesus Christ. There's life in the blood. Here's what I believe. You're going to go from life here to massive life with him like that. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I think that that's going to be our experience. So you don't have, if those of you not afraid of death get to Jesus, you don't have to worry about that anymore. It removes the barrier between you and God. It makes it so that you can directly go to God yourself. You don't even have to come to a, the preacher. You don't even have to go through a deacon. You can go directly to God because of the blood sprinkled before you by Jesus. It is working and it's protecting you even while you're asleep at night. You're unaware of it, but that blood is speaking over your life everywhere you go. It provides blessing to every aspect of your life. It removes sin from your account. It is the payment for your adoption into God's family. It sets us free from the curses of our sin and of our death. It is the power to give us victory over those hard to remove bondages. All of that is in the blood. If we believe. I've experienced this over and over and over. I'm not going to go into it a lot, but the blood of Christ over you will cause people to have, his blessings will flow onto you on a daily basis. The Lord gave us the ability to get a, a newer used car. We went to Tulsa area, went to a, this place called Calvary Auto Dealers, and we got there and this, of course, this guy was a, a believer. And he started doing stuff for us that should not be done by a car dealer. I'm, I'm just telling you. Prices went from here to this and, and this wasn't quite right so I'll put new tires on for you. I, what I'm saying is, I've seen it for all of our life. When you're under the blood, the blessing of God goes with you. And people don't even know why they're blessing you why they are. They're blessing you because of the blessing of God over your life. I don't take for granted. I'm grateful for it. But I tell you, I know where it comes from. It comes from the blood of Jesus. 